This is teaching Sunday. Teaching, not preaching. Teaching. So I want you guys to get comfortable. I need Elkin and Daniel to get some caffeine because they, they and Alex, those are my three, the ones that my night owls, they nod off right around 1120 every service. So I want you guys to get full of caffeine, get focused. Um, important day, really important message. So, so rich, so important and so good. Um, so I'm excited to get into it, but there's a ton of scripture and there's a ton of scripture and I, I'll, I'll get into why in a minute, but um, I just want to thank you guys for your worship this morning. Excellent, excellent worship. Theming of adoption, lamb, those are going to show up here in the message, so that's awesome to see we're on the same page. But let's just pray. Father, we just thank you for your presence in this room. We pray, Lord God, that you would uh, do in us something that only your word can do, that you would, you would uh, come in and change our hearts in every way that they need to be changed. I pray that you open our minds and our hearts to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you get back there, Michael? We, we good? As you ran away, he just ran away. I saw that. All right, let's put that up here. Okay, can you, we see that? Blessed, cursed, the art of stealing from God. You guys ready? You guys ready? I hope so. This is, this is intense stuff, so smile at me. I might make you smile at me a handful of times today. But pace yourselves. If you have your Bible, we're going to do a lot of it. So we're going to jump right in. Let's look at the second slide. So before we start, I want to kind of give an unashamed plug to this book. Because this book is the most excellent version of explaining this topic that I've seen. And I've stolen almost every scripture we're working from today out of this book. And so I'd encourage you guys, get this book. It's simple. It's like a couple hundred pages, 150 pages or something. It's, it's on money, and it will change your life. It's really powerful. Robert Morris is a pastor in Colorado? Texas. 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 Yeah, Texas. Huge church, massive church. Um, he's an excellent teacher, really clear, really sound, really good. This is something he's, like, digested a thousand times, and he's got it refined down to a science. It's like a life story for him. Uh, but we're going to be teaching a lot of what this book goes into at a lot more depth. So if you want the full, full version, get it. Get it. It's 11 bucks on Amazon. You can afford it. It'll be worthwhile. All right, let's go to the first slide. So we're going to lay a foundation here. Two concepts, blessed versus cursed. So I, we want to simplify this as much as possible. So just the most simplistic version of what we're talking about. Blessed is having supernatural power working for you. Think about it. Blessing is not something that's like a natural human transactional thing. You don't go around at work saying, I'm going to bless you. This is, blessing is a, it's a concept that originates from the Bible. It's a spiritual idea. It's a spiritual idea. So if we're talking about being blessed by God, can you turn this down just a hair? Mike, I got it. This thing's hot. Um, it is the idea that heaven, God, is working for you working generically on many different scales, but the idea would be that he is in our favor. Can we go down just a little bit more? All right, thank you, thank you. Okay, now I can hold it up. Cursed would be the opposite. It's that the supernatural is working against you. It could be any kind of version thereof, right? And so we often think of, and when we think of like spirit realm stuff, we think of God good working for us, devil bad working against us. But there's this other reality in the Bible where God is like particularly detailed about it in the Old Testament where he actually works against people that are working against him, right? It's, it, we don't like to cover that much, but it's there. Hopefully you've read it and you've asked the question, huh, this is intense. That's what I do when I read that. It's like, gosh, this is pretty intense. That's a normal natural reaction. It's there for a reason. And so the basics are we wanna be blessed, we want God working for us. We want to be aligned with him so he can do things that help us along in life. We can all agree to that. We don't want to be cursed and where him or others are capable of working against us. All right. That was really advanced, but you got it. Let's go to the first slide. So God's intention is to bless everything we do well beyond our expectations, I want to read a big portion of scripture here because I want you to understand the gravity, the scale that God's intention towards you 
covers. It's massive. Moses covered this really well in, in Deuteronomy 28, 1 through 8. I want to remind you what Deuteronomy is. Deuteronomy is a book written by Moses, uh, basically to Israel, summing up this period of time that they had gone through in the desert where they were, had escaped Egypt, and we have God giving them laws. We have God leading them throughout um, the desert with signs, wonders, miracles. You guys remember those wonderful stories. The presence of God was so tangible and clear. The expression of God through Moses was so crystal clear. And Moses knew him obviously better than probably anyone in much of our history of humanity. The connection between Moses and God was great. And so Moses understood what God's goal and aim for humanity was, particularly for the Jews. He knew, like, this is what God's up to, guys. Let me remind you. And so at the end of Deuteronomy 28, 1 through 8, he talks about the blessing that God intends for his people. Now, I'll just give you a foreshadow. We're not going to cover it today, but if you go from 9, verse 9 to the end, he also talks about the curse that could come upon them if they don't follow God. And it's very intense, but we're not going to cover that today because it's so intense and so deep and so hard that it's like, oh, that, that makes me feel awful. So I don't want to feel awful. It's Sunday. All right, let's go to the next slide. First Deuteronomy, or Deuteronomy, I have one. It's not, there's no first, sorry. Deuteronomy 28, 1 through 13. All right, you ready? I'm just going to read. Read along if you want. If you will listen diligently to the voice of the Lord your God, being watchful to do all his commandments, which I command you this day, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. All right, we're, I want you to take in God's intention towards his people. I want you to realize what this means as we go through this in detail. So set you high above all the nations of you, the earth. Basically choose you, put you in priority over all other peoples, if you'll follow him. Verse 2, and all these blessings, say blessings. Okay, blessed, cursed. You guys remember? That's where we started like two minutes ago. I hope you haven't forgotten. So all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you heed the voice of the Lord your God. Verse three, blessed shall you be in the city and blessed shall you be in the field. Next slide. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body. That's babies, by the way, in case you were wondering what that meant. None of you grow oranges on your limbs, I don't think. So, so fruit of your body, that's babies. And the fruit of your ground, that's farming, right? Agrarian society, you guys remember that term? That's how they lived. This is all, all the economy was based on what was growing out of the ground or livestock that was out there. So your body and what it produces will be blessed. And the fruit of your ground and the fruit of your beasts, so that's animals, the increase of your cattle and the young of your flock. Okay, we're getting into economic terms here. I want to, I got to shift your mindset from just thinking about your trip to the farm as like a petting zoo thing. This is like dollars and cents that he's talking about in that era, all right? This was their bank accounts, the number of cattle they had, the, the land they owned. That was what produced wealth Period. That's what it was. And so it's saying, if you follow the Lord, he will bless these things, these material things. Verse 5. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading trough. Okay, that was another form of economic work. Blessed shall be you when you come in, and blessed shall be you when you go out. Next slide. The Lord shall cause your enemies who rise up against you to be defeated before your face. All right, that's a good thing. So he's, he's talking about protection. Anything that would come after you, I will physically keep that from harming you. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. All right, let's look at verse eight. The Lord shall command the blessing upon you in your storehouse. What's a storehouse? It's like a bank. That's exactly right, in that era. So the storehouse in that era was like where you'd put your grain, your money, all right? That's literally what it was for them. So the Lord shall command the blessing upon you in your storehouse and in all that you undertake. And he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God gives you. Next. The Lord will establish you as a people holy to himself, as he has sworn to you, if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. Verse 10. 
And all the people of the earth shall see that you are called by the name and in the presence of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of you. So there's going to be an acknowledgement that you're God's. And the Lord shall make you have a surplus of prosperity. Okay, I underline that, surplus of prosperity. You guys know what that, that's really literal. It's really there. Through the fruit of your body, of your livestock, and of your ground, in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. All right, the conclusion here, the Lord shall open to you his good treasury, the heavens to give the rain of your land in its season and to bless all the works of your hands, and you shall lend to many nations. You shall lend to many nations. The implication is you have so much money and wealth that you'll actually support other nations because of God's material favor on your life. But you shall not borrow. 13, and the Lord shall make you the head and not the tail, and you shall be above only, and you shall not be beneath. If you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day, and are watchful to do them. I want, to, I want us to grasp the idea that God's intention for us is not poverty. It's really simple and clear. This passage of scripture, Moses talking to all of Israel, says God's intention is to bless you, and this is what blessing means according to God. It is that you'll have wealth above and beyond what you need to the point where you'll never have to borrow, you'll be the ones that are lending, you'll have everything you need, and then some. Everyone will look at you and see, oh, you are God's. You're his like chosen people. Look at the favor that's on your life. It's really interesting in Christian culture, in the history of Christianity, there's so many that have adopted an idea that God actually desires for us to be poor and without. You've heard of a vow of poverty. You've heard of just many, many versions of a justification for lack. We justify it in different ways. You could point to Jesus and say, well, like, well he didn't have a lot of money. Okay, that's a, that's a really interesting perspective, but I want you to look at what Moses tells God, his, God's people about God's intention for all of them. God's intention is to bless you, and if God's intention is to bless you, it's up to God what that looks like. I think it's really curious that we would latch onto an idea that we're supposed to be without. And I would suggest that that idea is appealing for those that are without. And they say, it must have been God's will that I have less than. It must be his desire not to entrust me with more. After all, if he wanted to, he would just fill up my bank account, my ATM, like supernaturally. Because he could, right? He's God. I want today for you to agree with me that God's definition of blessing includes financial prosperity. It's very, very, very basic, but it's so odd that we're really uncomfortable with that. It's really, it's really apparent, not just in this room, and I'll, I'll say it, it's in this room too. It's been in me for years growing up, and I'm going to explain a little bit of that in a, bit, a minute. There's something hardwired into us when we don't have the full version of God's intention that we want to justify our current circumstance and define God's ideas based on what we know and experience. It's not just about finances, but finances are one of the most simple and tangible areas of conversation that we can point to and say, what is God's best, his intention? What is my experience and why might there be a gap? Money is so tangible and, and, and easy to measure that it really is challenging when we get into spiritual conversations. Do you know that in the Bible, and this is in that book that I pointed to earlier, there's about 500 passages on prayer, plus or minus. There's over 2,000 passages on money in the Bible. When we talk about God and spiritual things, oftentimes we want to segregate finance and the practical experience of living life 
from the spiritual and say those are, there's a line and there's this natural order that we all experience in God, in, in just humanity and nature, and then there's a spiritual order. And what we want to gravitate to is spiritual because it's so easy to disassociate where we are, what our experience is, and we say, well, there's an ideal there, there's a draw there, and it doesn't point to me having less than what I could or would or should have. It's just that God's really big and beautiful, so I'm comfortable speaking about God and the beauty of heaven and God's intention in the spirit realm, but then if you look in the natural and you say, well, what does God say about the spiritual? You go, oh, he says all these beautiful things. Have you experienced them? No, but there's, it's spiritual, so there's, there's probably a progression. You say, well, what about the natural? You go, well, well, God has said all of these things, that his intention is to prosper you, to use you as a resource to the nations, to, to show the world that he is actually on you and blessing your life, and it will be measurable with your finance. And then you go, well, what about you? And you go, well, there's a big gap between what God wants and where I am, and it's just tangible because we know how much, we think we know how money works. We don't quite know how spiritual things work as well, so it's just easier to talk about. And so this is me being dad to you guys today. This is me introducing a topic to you that you all will wrestle with in one way or another for the rest of your life. And it's me acknowledging that culture, society, and maybe even Christian teaching in the past hasn't helped you get a full version of what God's best looks like planted deep in your heart. See, there's something in you that doesn't want to acknowledge my dad's so rich that I actually have no needs for the rest of my life. He could give me a million dollars tomorrow. There's something inside of you that doesn't want to agree with that because it implies he's not giving it to you for a reason. He's judging that you're not ready, worthy, or able to handle that portion of your inheritance. And that hurts, that feels weird. It's uncomfortable, really. But I'll tell you guys, I've got a five-year-old, and she is amazing. I have a bank account that would make that five-year-old the happiest five-year-old on the planet if I gave her everything that that bank account could afford that she would be interested in. But I'll tell you right now, we would have a room full of bunnies, We'd have another room full of hair ties. We would have crayons that are broken all over the floor in the house. We would have mountains of candy. We would have Nintendo games after Nintendo games after Nintendo games. And we'd have closets full of clothes that are size five. Just closets full. It would be the most epic five-year-old house you'd ever seen. Now, I'm her dad, and yes, I can do all those things for her, but I know that's not what she needs in this moment to have a full, rich, beautiful life. Does it mean that she is not going to receive the full inheritance that she has coming from me as she progresses in life and as those needs change? Absolutely not. There's just an awareness that I have that she doesn't that I'm meeting every need that she currently has without any misses. In fact, giving her much, much more than she really needs to have an amazing life. But if she were a sophisticated thinker, and she was a theologian at heart, she'd start to question the relationship between her and I and the truth of do I really control the money in the world that she lives in. She might philosophize and say, you know, there's this law of sowing and reaping that my dad doesn't fully appreciate, and I haven't properly sowed, and therefore I'm not properly reaping. She might say that um, this, is a, this is a period of penance where she's, she's being purged of all of her worldly desires, and I'm helping her along the lines of understanding like the significance of, of of wanting material things. Or you might say, well, 
I understand, and my dad must also understand, that there's people in other places that have so much less. So he's bringing me down to the level that they're at so that we can be on one plane and so I don't get too self-inflated. I might just build a philosophy that explains my lack, my inability to purchase or acquire more. I might just build one so I'm comfortable with my questions rather than really understanding the life God is leading me into. Moses knew God really well. Moses was able to explain what a blessed life looked like. It looked like favor in the financial and natural realm that transcended any expectation I think any of us could have ever built. If you were to say, what would God's best be for me financially? You'd probably say, I can imagine a family. I can imagine a home or maybe a second home. Or I can imagine living in a cert certain place and being able to make sure my family got to go to certain schools. And then maybe we had time. You might have a dream that's, that's a certain size. But Moses explained a version of blessing that transcended probably anything you would have come up with if I said, what would the full version of blessing look like in your life? He explained that you'd have money to the point where you'd never have to borrow a dollar. You would lend to all the other people groups in the world in one form or another. You would never be without, and you'd have so much prosperity in, in the fruit of your body, meaning you'd have a family that was large and big, and you'd have every dollar to afford it, and that you'd have blessing on everything you touched to the point where people would come and look and go, this is unbelievable. This is God that is on this situation so extravagantly that we could only explain it as God. Do you remember, and I don't recall her name, but in, in the Old Testament where she comes and visits Solomon? Somebody here remembers. It's a queen, yeah, queen of Sheba. She comes and visits Solomon and she says, this is God. Like, this is unbelievable how much prosperity, blessing, this kingdom has, it pointed her in a natural realm to a spiritual realm that was fueling this prosperity that was unlike any prosperity she'd ever seen in her lifetime. You say, well, that was exceptional for Solomon. No, this was God's intention for his people. God's intention for his people. There's the caveats in that passage where it explains that if you don't be careful in following and, and continuing to observe what God has prioritized for you, there is a curse that could come. But let's not focus on that first. Let's focus on understanding the nature of God who desires to bless. He's saying, I can actually change the experience that you have when you farm your crops if you bless me with your priorities. You see, Stephen and Katie could have fields right next to each other. But Katie, of course, would be really faithfully devote, devoted to God. Katie, Katie would really be exemplary. She'd have the favor of God in her life. And Stephen may have had a bad day or two. They could plant the same crop. They could work it in the exact same scientific way. And God could come in and cause hers to grow in a way that his doesn't. Do you believe that? It's, it's true. There's a disassociation that we're inclined to when we talk about finance, where we say it's not spiritual, it's natural. It's natural principles. It's if you do this, then you do this. We learn practical, pragmatic ways to manage money and life. And we say, God will bless me if I follow these practices. But God isn't talking about financial practice there. He's talking about life devoted to him. And favor, blessing comes over all of it. All right, let's go to the next slide. That was the warm-up. Yeah, I'm not playing around today. I'm crushing you guys. You just get, get ready. We are just getting started. Blessing is God's intention for all of us. 
I want to talk today about the principle of the first fruits, the firstborn, or the tithe. This is fundamental to God's order and structure, and this is what God introduced while Israel was in the wilderness. I want you to understand this for a moment. God rescues Israel from Egypt. They were slaves. How much money were they making? Not much. He takes them out of slavery, leads them into a desert, and he begins to give them laws to follow, some of which include financial laws. Now, hold on for one moment before I get into this. Doesn't it seem strange that God would give financial rules to people who just escaped slavery and have nothing? Why would he give them rules about finances when they're out there trying to stay alive? It must be a spiritual priority. It must be fundamental to the way humans think and believe and interact with him and with one another that it, it, it is core to his intention and his interest, even while they were out there. Now, it would make more sense if they were like wealthy and in the promised land, things are established, and he goes, okay, now that you have everything, I want to teach you how to manage it. But it's not that way. They had nothing. They were following a cloud and fire around, eating things that fell out of the sky, and he's like, hey, I want to talk to you about how to manage your wealth. Okay. It's important to God. It's core. It is basics. When, when we consider what are the spiritual principles we as Christians must follow, we have to get God's perspective on money because he over and over and over repeats to his people, it's really important that you have my perspective. And I'm going to remind you, not just remind you, I'm going to pattern it for you. I myself as God I'm going to demonstrate it for you in a way that will absolutely blow your mind. If you understand and you yield to me in this one area, I will bless you. And what's my blessing look like? It looks like this extravagant life. But you must adopt my priorities. You must adopt my laws. You must trust me, and I'll do the rest. So you guys ready? This principle is absolutely life-changing, and it's absolutely something all of you have challenged and wrestled with, because you're human. Are you ready? Here we go. Exodus 13.2. Remember, book of Exodus. We know where we're at, right? Sanctify. So God gives these rules. Sanctify. Another version of sanctify is consecrate or set apart. To me, all the firstborn males... Whatever is first to open the womb among the Israelites, both of man and of beast, is mine. Okay, weird concept. Are you ready? We're out in the desert. We're trying to stay alive. And God goes, rule number one, every firstborn is mine, of human and animals. Okay, what that means is, you are either going to dedicate it, i.e. give it over, or you're going to sanctify it. So we're going to get to that. So consecrate, there's, there's layers to this. And so the idea is you have to sacrifice it in the way I tell you to. So let's just think about the animal for a minute. This is, this is the first kind of most simple practical rule. You have an ox or a cow. The first male born of that ox or cow, God says, that's mine. You guys see that little last line there? Is mine. It belongs to me. And, I'm, and he goes on to give them a practice where when that cow has a, a baby, you go and you give it to the priest. Now tell me, guys, does that make any natural sense? It really doesn't. Why would, if you're Wandering around in the wilderness, you only have a certain amount of animals. You have thousands and thousands of people. Why would you kill the first one? Sacrifice it to dedicate to God. Doesn't that seem backwards and corrupt? Don't you think you should use that one to have more children and therefore spread 
the wealth and show God's prosperity to everyone? That's what naturally you would do. But God says just the opposite. The firstborn is mine. You need to bring it to me, and I'm going to take it as a sacrifice. You're going to kill it, give it to the priests, and the rest of you guys just go on about your business. So he establishes in the beginning the firstborn, the first fruit that comes out of your animals. It's mine. All right, go to the next slide. Exodus 13, 12, later in that chapter. You shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstlings of your livestock that are male shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem by substituting for it a lamb. Or if you will not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. And every firstborn among your sons shall you redeem. Okay, this is economy. This is what was of value and of worth. So the first one always belonged to God. Now understand this. It would make a lot more sense if you had 10 and the number 10 that arrived you gave to him. But he says the first one should be his. Requires a little bit of faith to give him that first donkey or that first cow or whatever it is. Let's go to the next slide. Exodus 23, 19. The first of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. Exact same concept. He doesn't say, once your crop is fully produced, count it up and give me a tenth. He says, the very first things that appear, those are mine, always. The principle is very, very interesting. It's really unnatural. It's a very spiritual principle. The idea that you would entrust God with something before you understood what the balance would be. It's an act of faith and devotion that transcends logic. It's not how you build a team of ducks. You don't take the first one and kill it when it gives birth. You don't take it and, and take it out and go, okay, you're out. Now I'm going to build a team. I got a, I got a squad coming right after this. No, you would build on the foundation of I have one, so it needs to multiply and build more. But there's this reordering that God demands from the beginning where it's, the first fruits, the very first things that come your way, you're to acknowledge that I am the engine behind that prosperity. You're to give me your first understanding that it's my blessing that will come as a result of your observance. Let's go to the next slide. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. It says, Honor the Lord with your capital and sufficiency from righteous labors and with the first fruits of all your income so shall your storage places be filled with plenty and your vats shall be overflowing with new wine. This concept of first fruits is a completely Christian concept. This is not a secular concept. There is no uh, stock market programming that says for your 401k, take that first year and just give it away because then it will multiply that much more. You guys all know how the time value of money works. You put it in at 7% savings, and then it compounds, and it grows and grows and grows. How powerful that first seed was, and you should have done it when you were at 20, not when you were 27, is that you should have started saving. Then it would have multiplied, and you were already looking back going, man, I should have put more money in stocks. I should have bought those stocks. I should have held it there. Why did I take it out? It's really natural and logical, but God... He starts out with his people and he says, I want to bless you like crazy. But one of the things I'm going to ask for in this list of many things is that anytime you have economic prosperity, the first thing that comes in, it's mine. Give it back to me. Don't start hoarding it and holding on to it saying this is God's blessing. No, it's actually mine. It belongs to me. It's not that it was yours and you made a choice to give it to him, it's that it was his and you were actually returning it to him. Say return versus give. If I'm returning something to its rightful owner, that's different than giving something out of my own storehouse. See, God was establishing something with his people in the beginning where he was saying, your mindset around all of your prosperity physical, natural, as well as financial and economic, 
has to come from an understanding that I am the source of all that is good in your life. And you have the opportunity to agree and demonstrate that with me if you continue to yield to me that first fruit. Not the last fruit, the first fruit. Okay, you guys ready for the power verse? Let's go to the next one. Malachi 3.8. I want to remind you there's 2,000 scriptures on finance, so we're going to be here a long time today. We're going to get them all. <laughs> it's honestly, it's one of the hardest things to talk about because it's everywhere in the Bible, and it's also one of the most uncomfortable things to listen to as an audience member. I remember growing up, my dad, who was not a churchgoer, would say, all they talk about is money at church. I don't like going, all they talk about is money. Now, I have no idea, like, I don't know where that came from in his head, because I know that that wasn't true, but the second someone touches money in your arena, it's like, it's your safe space. It's like, these are, this is mine. These are my things. I have $400 in the bank. It's mine. Don't tell me what I'm supposed to do with it. Like, I make $11,000 this year. Like, I, I am king of that $11,000. Don't tell me how I'm supposed to manage my money. God bless me with that money. Like, okay, okay. Calm down. Malachi 3, 8, and 12. This is epic. I want you guys to get this one in your head. It says, will a man rob or defraud God? Yet you rob and defraud me, but you say, in what way do we rob and defraud you? Have you ever considered yourself capable of stealing from God? Well, here you go. Malachi explains it. Next slide. You have withheld your tithes and offerings. You are cursed with the cursed, for you are robbing me, even this whole nation. Okay, I just before we go on, we're going to read more of the scripture. I want you to understand the definition. Robbing, that's when you steal something from someone. That means it doesn't belong to you, and you went and take it away. Malachi the prophet is explaining to Israel, all that money, all the produce that you have, Remember, the first tenth of that, it's God's. It actually belongs to him. And in not giving it back to him in the way he prescribed, you're stealing something that he owns. I think that our mindsets are not naturally wired this way. Why I'm covering this in so much detail is because I, I had to convert to understanding this. This is not friendly territory. It wasn't friendly territory for me because I grew up very poor. I grew up with a single mom um, who, the height of her career, she made $40,000. She had two children, and she was taking care of us. That was the, that was the max. So what that meant was we lived on about twenty dollars to $30,000 most years. And that was amazing because we had everything we needed, but there was also this thing that was in me that was really aware of how much we didn't have as a child. I wasn't lacking in food. I was a big, healthy boy. I wasn't lacking in warmth or shelter, but I always kind of wanted more, and I, I didn't understand. I didn't understand those with. I just understood us without. Relative, right? It, it's all very kind of stratified, and you're looking up a hill, and I dreamt that one day I'd live on a hill in Hayward. Like, that was my, like, if I could live in the Hayward Hills, that would be unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. It, it, and so it was a mindset kind of just built into me that we were going to be without. It was, it was really not part of God's plan for our family. I don't know how that gets in there, but that was in there. And so there's this process where, where you'll read the Bible or you'll hear preachers preach about money and you hear tithe, that 10% thing. And you go, well, that, it's just, what does that mean? <laughs> this was what I did. What did God really mean by tithe? Did he mean I should give 10% after taxes once I paid my bills and there was like, it was then in the account and I could look at it and like I could project how much I needed to spend that month and I go, okay, you can have, okay, 10% of that. Did he really mean that? And what does it mean to give beyond tithe? It would be like, oh, he'd have to like appear to me in the flesh and like speak to me because he knows like I don't have very much anyway. 
And, and here's the other weird kind of part of the conversation. If he controls all the money, why does he want mine? He knows how little I have. And what's really interesting about those conversations, oh, and I'm going to throw one more in there. I think it's better if I don't, and I did this for a season, like I don't give to the church that I attend and tithe, like tithe, like regular giving. It'd be better if I chose who I gave that 10% to. Because then I know it's going to be used like the way God intended for it to be used. And I'd, I'd self-select like who I'd give money to. It was really weird. At the end of every one of those years, I would not quite hit 10%, and I definitely wouldn't be as successful financially. It's just strange how that worked out. But the conversations I'd have would really intensify when the money was down. When I had needs that I wasn't really aware of or thinking about most of the other time. And, I, and there would be this questioning and self-examination. And it's really strange because if you read the Bible, it's just so super clear. You get into, well, is it in the Old Testament? Is that Old Testament law? Is it really true in the New Testament? Uh, Malachi, right before this section that I just, I'm reading you, it says, I'm God and I never change. And now let me tell you about what you're doing. It's really weird. He throws that line in right before he explains it. Hey, you're robbing from me. I expect you to give 10% of all that you get to the, to the house of God because it's, it's my foundation or concept that I have with you. So here's my question to you. Why does God do it? Is he coin operated? Like he actually can't function if we don't give him that 10% back? It's like, oh, well, it's like I ran out of money, so I wait for you guys, and then I can turn the engines back on. Or does he stop completely? So like when I gave 9% in a year, did he just like stop protecting me and stop blessing me? No. It's a test. It's, it's the most basic of tests. It's, hey, this is mine. I'm entrusting it to you. Do you trust me to give it back to me, knowing that I'll take care of the, that 90% and make it that much more blessed? In fact, do you know that if you do this for a while, even when things kind of seem to get hard, you stick to the kind of the rule I gave you that I'm proving your heart and your trust, that I can entrust you with so much more. I could actually entrust you to get to that point where you're blessed like Moses said you'd be blessed. But what if, what if I gave you all those hair ties and I just loaded you up with candy and you never even acknowledge it came from me, you just had this gross expectation where it's like, he's God and I'm rich and we're good. And you just fill yourself up, but there's never a connection to understanding that I am the source. I'm the one that turns it on, not just for you as a person. I don't fill your storehouse, just you. I actually do it for nations. I can do it for people groups. The Bible's full of him turning it on and off. But he has this affection for us as people, and he says, I, I want you to live in a place of blessing. But I, I have to have your heart so that you identify as my people before you are just identified with my name tag. And part of my name tag is, is blessing that's able to be carried out of this nation into the nations of the world. You say, well, why would God, what is, this is a weird kind of game. Like he could give me more. He will never leave you without. His children will never go without. Now you may have less in season, but you'll never be without. You may not eat as much, but you'll never not eat. Your heart that's fixed on a father that's good, that's capable of blessing in ways that would transcend not just your need, your family's need, but meet the needs of those other nations that don't even know him, where God could use you as a resource to the poor and needy of the world who may or may not see him as God. His idea of carrying you into that place of, of affluence, putting you on the top, never below, it requires a heart that totally understands, oh, this is all from him anyway. I have to be yielded to him because he's the one that makes it prosper. Guys, I've had seasons where like big spikes of money and I've had decades with like barely any money. And I'll tell you, there's, there's nothing 
that comes close to the connection with God. Like the, the money is a nice seasonal evidence that he's working, but is not the goal nor the aim. It's also not the stamp of approval. It's not, it's not earned, but it's a piece of the one who diligently follows after him. When Moses tells Israel, this is God's definition of blessing. Pay close attention that you follow these commandments. Pay close attention that when, when your ox gives birth, just bring, it to, just bring it in. Just bring it in. Don't question it. Make it part of your natural default routine because you'll just align your flesh with God's spiritual direction. You say, I want to see in the spirit and talk about angels. That's fun. Don't talk to me about money. That's not fun. They're both very spiritual things. It's a, it's a life yielded. It's a, it's a reprioritization, reprioritization of spiritual principles over natural laws. You see, God's supernatural blessing, where he comes in from outside of the natural order and affects a life, we think of it in terms of salvations and healings, but understand that when he comes in, and there's a natural order to this, there is you deserve a certain amount of money and favor because of the hierarchy that you were born into. Your family opens doors, you're qualified for certain jobs, you you. you Basically on earth, there is a structure and a natural order to how much money you will really be capable of making. But God, while sometimes he works within those spaces and moves people through those tracks, he at any time can take one and move him or her outside of the track that they were on. He could take one and say, your family for generations has been low-income people but I'm choosing you and I'm gonna place you over here and give you influence over the nations with money. And I'm choosing you and I'm moving you over here and I'm gonna give you influence over the nations with power. I'm choosing you and I'm gonna move you and give you influence over the nations with joy. He can take and fill us with these supernatural things. Money is one of many. But I have to have a heart that understands that I am, I am aligned with, loyal to, and subject to him, regardless of what the expression is. I'm not doing these things for my own personal outcome. I'm yielding to God, who's big. And here's the beautiful thing. I want to go to the next slide. Now that we found out you've been robbing him, by the way, I hope that makes you feel better. We've all done it. And I don't want, this is not a condemnation Sunday. This is a education Sunday. This is a teaching Sunday. We have to get these principles in here and then we're responsible for them and we have to break this down to where I know the truth, I have to break this thing in me that wants to deny that law. That argument that wants to stir up in me that says, no, I don't need to do that in the seat. I have to shut that down. Quiet down, flesh. <laughs> Quiet down, fear of need, quiet down, you're adopted into the family of God where his children, he has all the wealth we need. So let's read, let's keep reading here. So Malachi gives this comment. He says, bring all the tithes, the whole tenth of your income into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house and prove me now by it. I'm gonna say that one one more time. Prove me now by it, says the Lord of hosts. There's very, I don't know of any others. There's not many places in scripture where God says, test me. Prove it. Let, let, prove me. You can prove that I am God by following this direction. It says, prove me, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. God's intention is for you to challenge him by obeying his own instructions. If you obey me, I will bless you beyond what you're capable of holding. That's his promise. That is a strange promise. You say, well, he didn't need it to give it to me. No, he needs your heart to be on his page where you yield that portion of your life. Go to the next one. And I will rebuke the devourer 
insects and plagues for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground. Neither shall your vine drop its fruit before the time in the field, says the Lord of hosts. Basically, you will not lose one thing, even though all of the natural order could possibly work against you. I will protect everything that I intend to come into your storehouse. Last one, and in and all nations shall call you happy and blessed. For you shall be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. If you have real blocks in terms of joy, peace, one of the areas that's really easy to check, am I on the right wavelength and right page? Am I managing my finances the way God intended or am I keeping his and not giving it back to him? It's, I know it doesn't make sense. Why would joy and happiness be connected to money? There's so much on this. Jesus talks about it. There's so much on this in the Bible where it's like, don't serve these other masters. Don't let your body and mind and heart be drawn into a place where finance dominates you the tool that God has given us that's really powerful, the simple act. It's not an abstract thing. The simple act is yield that first fruit back to him. And as you do, it breaks the power of that spirit that would want to draw you into prioritizing wealth, money, prosperity over his direction, his word, his favor. Last scripture, last slide. I want you guys just to see this. It's so beautiful. It's so powerful, but Jesus, God's firstborn, God's firstfruits, God's tithe. John 1.29, the next day, John saw Jesus coming to him and said, look, there is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is not a minor theme, it's the whole theme, but God created Jesus first. It was God's firstborn. Before any of us were here, God predestined, he decided that Jesus would, would die to make atonement for us. You guys recall when Moses was giving the rules, if you have a, a calf, you can either dedicate it, consecrate it to God, or you can kill a lamb, and that lamb will cover that donkey or that, that sacrifice you were supposed to make. Your firstborn is flawed. All of us are flawed. The idea is that Jesus came and God gave his own son as a lamb that was sacrificed so that we could be redeemed and brought back into rightful order with him. So we could be blessed and brought into a place where we're deserving of that crazy blessing that Moses outlined to his people. You're worthy of it because you've accepted Jesus' sacrifice. But it's a principle that God, he, he rolls out in all these other areas. And so when you have the opportunity to give your tithe, remember that you're, you're aligning with the spiritual reality that Jesus first modeled for you, where it's like the very first and best that God could have created, he gave on our behalf.